You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Mike Jones, CEO and founder at Emerald Technology. How are you today, Mike? Hi, Ray. I'm really good, thanks, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to what 2023 is going to bring to both our organizations. It's uh, interesting times at the moment. It's great time. You know, great time. We just need to go through Q1 and then we'll be fine. We'll be be cheering and and celebrating. So today we will be speaking about the big R and how the recession are affecting companies' expansion plan. But before we get started, Mike, what I think would be super useful for our audience, because I, I know you very well, is for you to take us through who you are, where you come from, what does Emerald do? Just give us a little summary of yourself and Emerald to start with would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do so. So uh, I set up Emerald 22 years ago now. It's been a long old time following a a six-year tenure with a a really strong brand in technology search. Here at Emerald, we solve, we believe, two of the main issues uh, vendors face when expanding internationally. Firstly, identifying, assessing and hiring exceptional go-to-market performers. And secondly, onboarding and compliantly payrolling those performers as well on behalf of our customers anywhere in the world. So we operate from Dubai, UK and Asia. And our DNA has historically been in proactive talent acquisition for go-to-market employees, both at exec level and IC level within the tech sector. And we also support our customers by creating super qualified talent pipelines via our CV as a service solution. Uh, In the last seven years, we've moved into employer of record. And in this service suite, we employ on board and manage remote talent on behalf of technology vendor communities across all global economies. And these two solutions, uh, you know, I believe position us quite uniquely as the only company who can genuinely and effectively supply and payroll go to market talent in any country across the globe for our customers. That's what we do. Yeah, that's great, Matt. I think, and I do truly believe that it's a unique proposition. In terms of the type of people that you would bring from a recruitment perspective and you know managing payroll and all that, do you have a would you say that you've got a specialty? Would you say that you've got a specific sweet spot or is it across functions? Yeah, I would say as mentioned earlier, it's all the go-to-market functions. So anything I would say that's customer facing or revenue generating. So we place the leaders, the heads of regions, and also anybody that reports into them that faces the customer. So sales, pre-sales, system engineering, customer success, marketing, and customer facing professional services and support. That's really our absolute sweet spot. Although we do place technical people as well, go to markets, really our DNA. Yeah. So recession. In about two months from now, we will be fed up of that term like we were with COVID-19. From your experience, you must be speaking with lots of organizations that have international expansion plan right now or add international expansion plan in Q3, Q4 last year. What's the score? Do you think the recession is actually holding them back? Some people are debating if we're in recession or not. Okay, Is the potential recession or the softening of the market Do you think it's kind of calming down some plans or do you think people are still going? What are you hearing out there? I mean, as you know, Ray, I don't claim to be a financial expert. However, it's well documented that founders and leaders need to brace themselves for the continued economic downturn in the tech industry during 2023, hopefully during the first half. However, I'll say that I don't personally believe it's going to be as deep or as painful as the the credit crunch, the financial crisis in 2008. 
But I also don't think we're going to see a speedy and economic recovery as we saw coming out of the pandemic in COVID-19. The reality is recessions definitely affect technology vendors greatly with their international expansion plans. Because if you're moving and expanding into new regions, you know, it can be expensive, it can be time consuming. And at the moment, VC funding, particularly for later round tech vendors, is really difficult to attain in tough market conditions. I mean, if you've looked at, you know, the NASDAQ in 2022, I think 30% of share values was wiped off the NASDAQ 100. And we've seen a huge reduction in VC funding, particularly for later stage pre-IPO vendors. And under those circumstances, vendors are much, much more focused on crash, uh, sorry, cash preservation rather than burning cash on international expansion. It's definitely there. But, you know, hopefully as we come through to, to half two, you know, I think it will get better. And I have to say, I've experienced, as I'm sure you have, a number of recessions since setting up Emerald. And if cash is conserved, sensible financial decisions are taken and the product and market fit is right, I've seen many, many tech companies thrive and grow effectively and actually become stronger during a downturn. After all, in a downturn, less companies are hiring. So actually, if you're a scale-up or startup, it's quite a good time to hire you know, talent because in the boom era after COVID, it was an absolute nightmare. Everyone was uh, fighting over the same talent pool. It was a real battle. Yeah, it seems that we don't know where the talents are gone. Yeah. Just Someone took them away during COVID. You mentioned a few things that are interesting here. So as you know, speaking a little bit personally about operatics, and we have discussed and you've introduced me very kindly to some of your key contacts in, in the region, but you know that we've got a real plan, a real interest, a real strategy to expand in APAC. And from my perspective, I almost see it as edging my bets. Okay. And the example that I would take, Mike, is during COVID, what we found quite interesting is that the first wave of COVID hit Europe. Okay. It was in the Eastern world, in Asia to start with. We kind of looked at it. We saw it on the news, thinking that nothing would happen to us. Eventually it came. We saw the wave of COVID really eating Europe first. And it took probably a month for that wave to really go a bit more global and reach North America as hard as it would eat Europe. But then what we saw, we saw different countries reacting differently. Okay. So not everybody was kind of thinking at the same time. And in the US, it was not countries, but it was states having different perspectives regarding COVID. And some states who are based in Dallas, people pretty much didn't stop in Dallas, rightly or wrongly. I don't have an opinion on that. But we know that New York and California shut down for pretty much two months. So doing business in this region was very difficult. But when you've got a global coverage, I think you can really edge your bets. And if you can, obviously, and you have the agility to do so, move your focus from one region to another, waiting for the wave of crap, let's call it what it is, to get over and the business to boom back. Because another thing that you mentioned that is absolutely spot on is that after a good recession, there is always sunny days. People go out back to the market and people still need to make their revenue target, their pipeline target. So we're really looking at Asia as a place. So if you were to advise me, would you tell me to be more careful about setting up the brand, opening up the new territories, doing more research? You know, if we take me as an example, how would you advise me? And and I also would like you to speak a little bit about your employer of record, which I think is quite useful because the way I look at it, and it may not be the right way to look at it, but from my perspective, you could almost allow a company like Operatics to dip a toe without going full in with the lawyers and setting up entities and payroll and all that sort of great stuff that can be complicated. So I'd like to know how you would advise me if it was you and I. Obviously, we've got a few people listening to us. <laughs> but I'd like to know you would go about it. 
Yeah, understood. So firstly, I think it's a really valid point. As you know, we've operated from here in Europe. We focus on Europe and America's delivery of talent and delivery of payrolls. And we have an office in Singapore, in Asia, and one in Dubai covering uh, Middle East and uh, Turkey and Africa. And strangely, what we've actually seen, your point is fair, you know, different economies seem to react in different ways to the recession. So, for example, we're seeing in Europe and Americas where companies have big teams and have overhired, they are, you know, projects are at this stage have been put on hold, you know, and budgets have been put back. Normally, they get released in Q4. They're now being released in Q1 to see what the market conditions are looking like. However, I would say on the talent acquisition side, before I come on to EOR, the pipelines in the Middle East and Asia are still very strong. So I think having a global view, a global presence, I think is very, very important because it enables you to address different markets. And as you quite rightly point out earlier, different markets react in different ways You know, in these times. And I think in Asia and the Middle East, companies have smaller teams that are well controlled. So they're more confident you know, of adding individuals in those regions, whereas they may have pretty big teams in Europe and they're not sure how the market forces are going to react and change. So they're a little bit more reluctant to add people in those territories at the moment. And you've seen many companies, particularly in B2C, are literally letting people go. And to your other points, for sure, you know, we've seen companies becoming a lot more cautious around landing and expanding into new territories, particularly the major ones, you know, like North America and Europe, Middle East, Africa. You know, most companies now are preferring a strategy of dipping their toes into new markets before going in full tilt, I would say. This current climate, organizations are looking for some proof of concept with customer wins, channel yeah. partners signed up, revenue pipelines in place before committing fully to an in-country model and setting up costly subsidiaries. And I would say, exactly as you said, this plays perfectly into Emerald's EOR model and the operatics outsourcing model because they can seed the market, they can start seeing traction without committing to setting up entities in new geographies. So, you know, Emerald's EOR solution, in my opinion, significantly reduces business risk when entering into new territories for a number of different reasons, Ray. And I'd recommend that you used it in Asia once you've got your HQ, because we ensure employees are legally compliant in their country of work. So clients avoid any issues surrounding employment law, employee misclassification and tax compliance. By using EOR, our clients avoid setting up costly, time-consuming and often legally complicated entities in countries within which they don't have any previous experience of trading. And we also provide ongoing support on the operational side of things with filings, with VAT returns, we manage HR issues, onboarding, offboarding. And the final thing I'd say is if a new territory doesn't go to plan, clients can avoid exit fees and ongoing liabilities when closing down their business operations, you know, uh, if they use an EOR solution. And even if companies are actually retrenching, who already have entities that they want to save cost, they can easily switch people from an entity to an EOR as long as they manage it compliantly and effectively via a partner like Emerald, for example. Yeah, I think one of the big concerns is probably the cost of entry. It reminds me of the Chinese proverb, you know, when is it the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When is the best time to plant a tree now? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at some point you've got to do it because if not, you may regret it. But the cost of entry is often what I'm hearing, at least from US vendors coming into Europe or European or Israeli vendor going into the US, which is a much bigger scale because you need to go to the US. You need to have some very serious investment behind you. And we know that the VC and the PRCs in, in Europe or in Israel 
tend to be a little bit less generous in valuation, less cash rich in, it, in a sense. On that cost, and it's a tricky question because it depends how quickly you want to go and how hard you want to get going. But let's say for someone that we want to open up a new region and maybe get three, four people start to get going. Do you have some sort of idea of what would be like a year worth of investment to open up a new territory? Yeah, I mean, it depends country to country. Some countries are much more cost effective to enter than others. I mean, for example, the UK is fairly easy to trade. You know, you can buy an off-the-shelf company. You can enter into it pretty easily. Visas are fairly easy to get. However, if you go into countries where, you know, labor laws are tight, compliance is tight, Singapore, for example, Japan, you know, some of the European countries like Germany, it, it can be very expensive to set up an entity. You know, you're talking up to $100,000 for setup, and then you've got all of the ongoing costs as well. So it can cost a lot of money. You need to purchase a license and the right license as well to trade effectively in those countries. So it can be very, very cost consuming. And an EOR, for example, as you're dipping your toe in, would probably save you I would suggest, you know, 50 to 60% of that cost easily during the first 12 months of trading. And then you can start seeing a return on investment before you commit to having a subsidiary in that territory. So I think if you're only going in with a few people, anything less than five to 10, I would certainly say that an EOR is a very, very cost effective way of doing it. Plus the fact you don't have to worry about all the local compliance. Okay. And another question that is probably also extremely difficult, but for how long do you need to invest? It would probably depend on the length of your sales cycle. So, you know, for how long do you think you need to invest in order to get a setup that is decent while you've got a team that is on the ground? So should I start now to look at APAC to have an office in Singapore in June? Or should I look now in APAC to get an office in January 2023? Is Are you exactly. talking about a return on investment in terms of revenue or just having an office up and running? I'm talking uh, about being, being set up, like being set yeah. up properly. And I would like to compare that with what you do from an EOR perspective, basically. That's, that's my angle there. Yeah, no, understood. You know, I can speak from experience. We've set up entities all over the world now to enable us to payroll individuals effectively in lots of countries. And we've got sales offices, as I've mentioned, in Dubai and in Singapore. And in both of those countries that I mentioned there, it's taken us three to six months to set up effectively, speak to the Ministry of Manpower you know, in Singapore, buy the right license. You have to set aside cash bond, the government insists on. So you need to have that money separated out. And then you need to make sure that you've got your accountancy in place, your employment contracts all correct. You're registered with the tax authorities. So I would say in complicated countries, it can take at least three to six months to get set up effectively to trade versus an EOR uh, solution where, quite honestly, if you are a local resident with a local visa in that country, we can switch those individuals on to be trading on behalf of our customers within 24 to 48 hours. It will take a little bit longer if we need to go out and get the visa. The visas in the likes of Asia and, and the Middle East and Africa can often take time, but we've got the right people in place and the right entities in place and visas already aligned so that people can take advantage of that much more quickly than if they try to build up from scratch themselves. Thanks for that. My last question really is kind of an open one. So removing the topic a little bit and founder to founder, I think you went through 2008, 2010. You definitely went through COVID because that was you. We're thinking about the market softening, recession, all that. So you've seen the movie. How are you preparing your organization 
we're a totally different beast than we were back then. You know, actually, I can go even further back than that, uh, Ray. Well, I set this company up in 2000, started trading in 2001, exactly when the dot-com crash happened. So I've been through that recession as well. That's uh, nice. But, uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, we're, we're a different business today. Once we set up this uh, employer of record practice, myself and, and my business partner sat down and we said, look, you know, we need to build a recurring revenue stream, which solidifies our ability to be nimble, but also covers the operational cost of a trading company because talent acquisition is very, very subject to market conditions around yeah. recessions. Whilst talent acquisition can be somewhat boom and bust, we're a totally different business now. We've built up a recurring revenue stream you know, from this uh, employer of record payroll in practice, which basically covers the overheads of the business that we have. So we're in a really good place to be able to be nimble and look longer term rather than short term. When I just yeah. had a talent business, we would be looking much more short term. We are focused on still doing the same things, trying to partner with the right companies, trying to identify the organizations that are still in, you know, have the product and market fit to scale. And also, I will say that a lot of the seed and A round funding, actually, you haven't seen such a lack of funding going into companies at that stage. It does seem to be the recently IPO'd companies who have you know, had a lot of their stock value wiped off and the later stage startups who in the boom economy have big valuations and they don't want to take a valuation at a down round. Those are the ones who are suffering mainly. So we're targeting the same marketplaces and new markets that are growing. We're focusing on organizations that may be more in that seed and A round of funding or organizations that just have the right product and market fit to grow. And we're looking longer term in order to make sure that we execute. And what's your best performing region right now in Q1? What would it be APAC? In, in Q4 versus revenue numbers, APJ was our best performing region. In 2022, Europe and Americas, which we house together and deliver from here, was our best performing region. But I think it will be tougher there in Q1. Looking forward to Q1, half one, I think our two international reasons, Asia and the Middle East, will be our best performers. Yeah. You've made the right choice. You planted your tree a few years ago. Eh? Yeah, you absolutely. Don't worry, we can help you plant yours as well. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. So <laughs> thanks so much for your insight, Mike. If anyone wants to connect with you, discuss about Emerald, pick your brain about US extension, even speak about your employee of record services, what's the best way to get hold of you, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. They can get to me through LinkedIn straight away. I'm on there, obviously. If not, my email address, mikej at emerald-technology.com. Please feel free to reach out to me directly and I'll make sure that anyone who comes through via this channel is looked after. Uh, thank you so much. It was great to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. And best of luck. Hope to see you soon. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.